Welcome back, ladies and gents, to another episode of the Kenny and Co Show. Do gents listen to this? I don't know. But welcome back to the Kenny and Co Show, where we talk about anything and everything and nothing all at once. It's another solo episode this week. I feel like there's like a lot to unpack, a lot of things to chat about. I put it up on my stories, what you guys were looking um, to talk about, what you wanted to hear about, what you wanted me to talk about. And let's just say it was all over the place, all over the place, which is great because you know me, I love going in totally different directions, off on tangents all the time. So this was like perfect. Um, So the suggestions were good. We'll get to those in just a minute. Before we like dive into anything, I feel like we just need to take a moment. And by we, I mean me taking a moment of just breathing into the fact that I actually got these motherfucking at-home workouts off the ground this past week. And I am very proud of myself. Very proud of myself. I'm going to tootly toot my own horn on this one because this was a long time coming. And you've heard me talk about it on many, many episodes at this point. And you've heard me talk about it on Instagram and for the better part of the last two years. So um, thank you for sticking with me and cheering me on from the sidelines. Thank you for jumping into classes and live classes, becoming members. Like this is like so wild because I've been dreaming about creating like a, like a member community type deal where we just can like hang out, sweat a little, have fun, eventually take some of these things live in real life. I don't know. I just have like visions and lots of visions. I am never short on the visions. So hear me out. If you are like me, you've got ideas for days. Like ideas are not the issue. Execution is the issue. If you want to start a business, but you don't have an idea, come to me, come to me. I'll take 10%, but I will give you the entire idea soup to nuts, but executing it. Absolutely not. I am not your girl. The executioner in me. <laughs> I don't quite think that's the right uh, use of the word executioner. However, the uh, person that needs to execute within myself is uh, dormant most of the year, most of the time. She comes, she comes to the surface when the sun comes out and the weather gets nicer and the dopamine hits a little different and the vitamin D is at like a healthy level. But other than that, she just kind of does absolutely nothing. So the fact that we got them going, and I mean me, we, we, I mean (laughs) the multiple personalities that reside inside my body. We got it off the ground and I'm very, very excited. I'm having a lot of fun with it. I was a little nervous, you know, teaching and doing it not in real life. Like, is there enough energy? Will it be draining? You know, I've heard people talk about how difficult it is to teach from, you know, do virtual and teach from home and, and teach basically to nobody, which is very different than when you're used to teaching in person. Um, but I think I'm still in the honeymoon phase, so it's still a lot of fun and I hope that it remains fun. And when it's no longer fun, then we just move on, you know, because if you're not having fun, it's not worth it for anything, period. We're put on this planet for a short bit of time to have fun and enjoy ourselves. And then we get beamed back up into outer space. Our spirit just floats around and then finds some other thing to go into in some other galaxy somewhere far, far away. So 
if you're not having fun, it's not worth it. But anyway, the first exercise, the first workouts were on Cinco de Mayo. And to be honest, I didn't intentionally pick Cinco de Mayo, although the timing for me, since I love a margarita, you know how much I love a margarita, it worked out pretty well. And also I think there was some like cosmic astrological event happening on 5-5 that also uh, was great. And I just picked it kind of out of thin air. I was like, I know I want these to start in the beginning of May. A Friday in May feels like the right energy. So it was like perfect. So I taught my my first at-home workout. I went to Rumble. I taught a, a couple classes at Rumble. I came home. I had some margaritas. It was fabulous. Saturday morning, Tim and I, we've been working on doing some landscaping at this house. And when I say landscaping, I mean like the landscaping company of Tim and I. Uh, manual labor which I would say Tim does about 99.9% of, but I like to be there for effect and for like camaraderie and moral support. But on Saturday morning, we went to the nursery and got ourselves some (laughs) bushes and hydrangeas. I can't believe I'm talking about this. Like, you know, there comes a time in life where nobody lets you know that one day the most exciting part of your weekend will be going to a nursery to pick out shrubs (laughs) to make your lawn look pretty. But anyway, that's what it was. And it was a lot of fun. We met a really nice guy that helped us out. And on Sunday, we planted 16 trees (laughs) or dug 16 holes. We planted three trees, six bushes or no, six hydrangeas and like 12 other little bushes. And then I planted like some flowers in between. And I'll tell you what, if, if you want to be like active and agile get, as you get older, doing lawn work is really the barometer of health. And after Saturday, I realized I have some work to do because after Saturday or Sunday when we planted, I felt great. I was like, ah, I'm moving through these holes. I'm digging holes. I'm putting things in. We're good. We're, we got it. And then Monday, I was reminded that I haven't been to yoga in a while and how important doing yoga and consistent stretching is, which, which if you are a member of my at-home workouts, you will be getting all the stretching content because this is why I think it's so important. My back, I went for a walk Monday morning, went for my walk. I'm trying to do 10,000 steps a day for the month of May. And by the month of May, I mean, I started two days ago. So, or three days ago at this point. So Monday, I'm trying to, you know, get my walk in, get my 10,000 steps. I come home and I'm standing in the kitchen and I'm just having a conversation with Tim and I'm like, all right, I got to eat something and like get get to work. I got stuff to do. I'm going to teach class at 11, blah, blah, blah. All the things, all of a sudden, my entire back just seizes up. And I can't describe it any other way other than my muscles went into a, a Charlie horse and just never came out of it. I've, I, Tim told me that this is called a muscle spasm. I've never experienced one like this. My entire mid back just like, sh- like shrunk, just shrunk. I did nothing. I went for a walk and nobody tells you this when you're in your late twenties, that one day you're going to wake up and suddenly these things happen to you. And it is devastating, devastating. So then I had to teach a class on Monday, a strength class, which was great. Somehow my body was able to move through it. I think because it was like my mid spine and I didn't really need much of my mid spine. 
But I like three days later and two days later and my back, I still can't turn side to side. And that's when you know that you're getting old when you can't turn your neck. Okay. So this is it. So this is the test. Think right now you're sitting, maybe you're sitting in a chair. If you're sitting in a chair and somebody were to call your name, would you a turn your neck? Would you B turn your shoulders and your neck? Or would you C grab onto the table and have to thrust yourself around to acknowledge the person that has called your name? If you have picked B or C, you are over 30. And that's just the way it is. And I hate that it's the way that is. But if you are over 30, you cannot answer someone with a whip of the neck. You will not be able to walk for days. And so this is my new life goal. It's to be able to whip my head around with ferocious intent, like a 21-year-old by the time I'm 33 (laughs) in a few months. I want someone to call my name, and by the time they're done with the second syllable, just yes, instead of having to place whatever's in my hand down, leverage myself against a table, shift my weight, and turn and twist my entire upper body all in one all in one motion. So that's where we're at. <laughs> As I start these at-home workouts, I'm talking about how I can't move. But that's why this stuff is so important. An object in motion stays in motion. If you just don't stop moving, then you'll be able to move. And somewhere along the lines, I just stopped like stretching and going to yoga and like doing the important things. And I said this today during class too. It's like, We've gotten the exercising part down. We're good at understanding that we need to exercise for our body, but we're really bad at the recovery part. We are so bad at the like flexibility, mobility part. So I think what I'm going to do is have like a challenge. I want to be able to like move my back easily. I want to be able to kick my leg up in the air like I used to when I was 13. I want to be able to do these things like well into my elder years. So that's going to be like my new life goal. Anyway, I don't know how the we got there. But anyway, I hope your back feels better because I know somebody listening to this just pulled her back out somehow. Oh, but you know, what's funny. The other thing that happened this weekend. So, okay. So I just like glossed over. I forgot like the crux of Saturday was the coronation and the Kentucky Derby. Okay. So let's like start with the coronation really quick. Cause then we're going to get into it <laughs> into what I don't know, but we're going to get into it. But the coronation really quick was interesting I love pomp and circumstance. So like sign me up, totally fine. King Charles and Queen Camilla. And everybody was saying how like, oh, I'll never call her Queen Camilla because she's not the queen. It's Diana. I'm like, Diana never wanted that. (laughs) Diana didn't want to be queen. Diana didn't even want to be a princess. She never even really wanted to be married to Prince Charles. Did anybody watch any of the 75 documentaries that have come out in the last 20 years about it? She like didn't want that. So uh, you can call her Queen Camilla. Um, but then this, this other little piece that I knew nothing about came out and apparently, allegedly, Prince, what's the other one? William. <laughs> Prince William has a mistress a la Queen Camilla. His, no, his mistress is not Queen Camilla. <laughs> that was confusing. His mistress is not his stepmother. But in the same vein that Camilla was the mistress and now she is Queen Camilla. But I don't know the validity of this. I would have to check my royal sources whenever I get some. 
But allegedly, Prince William had extramarital affairs with this woman and may or may not have birthed his son, which would be odd. And I don't know the time frame, whether this was pre or post his son with Kate Middleton, Princess Kate. So technically, if it was before, then this, this, ugh, this child is technically the rightful heir to the throne, which I would imagine would put a little bit of a damper on their relationship, Kate and Williams. But apparently she was there. There was something on odd happening there. So if anybody knows more about this, can you please like DM me? Because I saw it in a couple stories and I didn't like dive deep enough into it, but I did find it very interesting because I love the drama. I love, I love drama and, and like unimportant gossip, you know, like this kind of stuff, like this has nothing to do with me. I'm not concerned. My life is impacted in no way, shape or form by any of this, but sometimes I like hearing about it just, you know, to sip some tea. So that would be interesting to learn about that. But anyway, Kate Middleton, she looked like, uh, I don't know. I guess that's the outfit you're supposed to wear for a coronation. She looked very regal. She looked very royal. She kind of looked like a, a court jester, but I think that was what she was going for or what they are going for. Um, but the coronation was very interesting. Again, I love the whole the whole thing around it. There's so much controversy around it. Do the people of the United Kingdom really give a shit? I don't know. I don't know. To be fair, again, while I check with my royal sources, I would have to check check with my English uh, sources. And uh, currently, I don't have any. So if you want to be my English source and let me know how you feel about the King's Coronation, please do tell. Do tell. But also what was happening on Saturday, more importantly, was the Kentucky Derby. Another highly contested and controversial event big time. So I wanted to have a Kentucky Derby party here. We, uh, board racehorses here and the previous owners of this house, he was a jockey. He was a horse trainer. He is still a racehorse or just horse transporter. Uh, he boarded racehorses here, all the things. So it's got a lot of like racehorse blood on this property. Oh, that sounds not in the, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it like that. I meant like <laughs> energy. It's got racehorse energy on this property. There's no blood. No horses died on this property um, that I know of. Uh, but there really was, there was a, a weird, that's a, t- a story for another time. There, remind me to tell you about the, like the Netflix special that I am sitting on with this house. That's again, story for another time. Um, it's a true crime thing and it's very bizarre. Um, but I wanted to do a Kentucky Derby party here because we have the property to have like a banger of a party, but I also just threw a banger of a party for our wedding and can't do basically another wedding again. So we're putting it on pause until next year, but I want to like work with like a local, um, like equine charity and have like raise funds and all the things I think it'd be so so cool. And everybody's got to come with the fascinators and the hats and dressed correct, all the things. Um, but so I was like very invested in the Kentucky Derby this year. I do watch it like loosely every year. I don't bet on horses. I don't know anything about anything when it comes to race horses, to be honest. And we board them here. So I only know when these horses win something or do really well. And it's like really exciting. Then it's fun. Um, but I don't know anything about like, you know, 
other races or other horses. But but the Kentucky Derby is a is like a very controversial thing in the animal world because racehorsing, I take that back, not racehorsing. Let's just go back in general. If you own a farm property, you have animals. There are things that have to happen or do happen that are horrible. (laughs) And I'm not like laughing. I'm just, I have to laugh because then you cry. Um, There are just, nature is weird. Nature is brutal and weird. And sometimes things happen and, uh, you know, either... I remember when we were in Hillsdale, we had chickens, like we had a fox attack our chicken coop. And that was probably the most traumatic experience of my life. (laughs) Um, and nature is a fucking beast. Um, so there's times where if you have animals and you manage property and animals on the property where some things like that happen, um, animals get sick, animals need to be put down, there's there's a lot of things that happen and that come with with that and anyone that has animals or or manages animals on their property or whatever they don't do it because they hate animals i mean there's so many other livelihoods that you could pick so you'd most likely pick you know working at CVS versus raising you know any kind of animal if you really didn't like it um so I don't think there is anyone that intentionally would ever in do or act in the, not in the best interest of the animal. But again, there are exceptions to every rule. But as this pertains to like the horse racing world, what really sucks is racehorses. And again, I'm coming from a complete, like, I don't, I'm not an expert on this at all. I just thought this was an interesting topic and an interesting take on uh, this whole thing with the Kentucky Derby, uh, that like, if, if you've ever watched Yellowstone, (laughs) you understand if horses break a leg or are injured in some way, most likely they can't recover. Like, I think like breaking a leg, I don't know the complete ins and outs of it, but they can't recover from that. Um, so what they do when they break a leg is they put them down. They they essentially put them out of their misery in a the most humane way, as opposed to letting an animal suffer. Um, and so that happens a lot in racehorsing because these animals are athletes. You know, they're training at like crazy levels and and all of that stuff. That injury is like almost bound to happen. So there's a lot of controversy around the Kentucky Derby because a lot of horses. Either, you know, I, I don't know what the specifics are and like the numbers or anything like that, but like they do get injured leading up to races, not just the Kentucky Derby, any race. And then when, if they do get injured and it's beyond a repairable kind of injury, they have to be put down and, and essentially like, well, it, this, this industry breeds, you know, killing of horses. But then like, I think about it, like the opposite side is like that horse came into this world and had an incredible purpose, loved what it did, you know, training and running. And I mean, you should see when we have the horses here and we're boarding them, they love nothing more than to run around in circles with each other at like full, full speed. It is the most adorable thing I've ever seen. And they just play with each other and they run and they race and they do all this stuff and 
Um, so they have a purpose, uh, you know, here on their, on this planet for, even if it is a short period of time. Um, so I'm not, but I'm not saying that that warrants them being put down or being bred to do this life in any capacity. I'm just saying that they, you know, to everything is a purpose, isn't that a song or a Bible verse? Um, so again, so that just goes back to there being, you know, a lot of, contention around the Kentucky Derby. Now, I say all that to say, uh, we don't know much about, you know, the ins and outs of racehorsing other than what we've been introduced to in the last like year or so. But we bet on two horses this year, not knowing really much from anything. We kind of had some inside scoop from, um, our friend who helps us here at the farm and he's like, ah, you know, I'm looking at two fills and mage. And we're like, all right, you know, like whatever. Tim made these bets, didn't even tell me. I didn't even know that we were putting any money on anything. And <laughs> the first, the, the two horses that came in, uh, first and second were mage and two fills. Go fucking figure. I mean, the fucking odds of that happening are so minute. Picking one winner is is a lot, let alone like the first and second position. So I was, we were at our friend's house and I was like flipping out and I'm turning around to him. I'm like, this is insane. And of course, Tim's not a big gambler at all. So like he'll gamble with like 50 bucks, um, anything more. And if he were to lose it, he would flip out. So like, I don't know, we put like 50 bucks. We didn't win a lot of money. It was like a few hundred bucks. And I was just like, I was more concerned about the fact that like it was the two that won. Like I, the money was irrelevant. The fact that there were two horses, the ones that we picked won. I was like, either I am so locked in and in alignment spiritually, emotionally, mentally, frequency, vibrationally, that I just manifested the Kentucky Derby or or just a coincidence. Now, I know you know that I don't think that it's a coincidence. I believe that I am on my spiritual path <laughs> and I manifested the two winners because what else <laughs> would explain that situation from happening? Nothing, nothing. And you can't change my mind. But anyway, so they both won and I'm like turning around, like looking at Tim and Tim is like trying to be like all cool about it. And I'm like, Dude, I'm like, did you not just see what I saw? I'm like, do you realize how unlikely that is? And he's like, yeah. And then luckily our other friend like put in the same bets that Tim did. And luckily he bet some more money. So he won like way more than we did, which is what should have happened. And he was just like keeping it like calm, cool and collected. And I'm like, what is going on? So we leave like, you know, two hours later or whatever. The first thing Tim does when he gets in the car, he slams the door. He goes, holy fucking shit. How did, how? how did we just pick the two winners? And I was like, dude, where the fuck were you two hours ago when I was freaking out? He was like, I was trying to play it cool. So Tim was trying to play it cool and I was losing my mind and we picked the two winners of the Kentucky Derby. And it was so sweet, like watching the whole thing unfold because this is the thing too with, with horse racing. It provides a lot of jobs, a lot, a lot of jobs to a lot, a lot of people and there's for one horse, there's probably like 50 people involved, especially if there's usually like multiple owners on one horse and cause they're fucking expensive. Um, 
so it's like a lot of people involved and a lot of jobs involved and a lot of things that had to kind of happen in order to get that horse in tip top shape so that he could go run around the track and win. And I think it was so cool, like watching like the whole post race interviews and all of that stuff. And it was really, really sweet. However, again, I say all this to say there is a lot of controversy, controversy around this. And I think like anything else that's like super polarizing, I think again, like it's like you really like you have to look at it from so many different angles and like what's, you know, what's considered humane. Is that subjective? Is it objective? What's considered like, how do you know if the horses don't want to be doing this because they look pretty damn happy to me? Um, and again, there's exceptions to all of this. There are situations where, you know, there are just like you could say, um, dog fighting, let's do that. When people illegally fight like pit bulls or something, in my opinion, all of those people should be like lined up and, um, given explosive diarrhea for the rest of their life. I was going to say something else, but I feel like the explosive diarrhea is better for the rest of their life, like chronic chronic for the rest of their life if they're caught illegally fighting pit bulls i think this is different though racing horses there are still illegal horse races that happen um and actually used to happen in our backyard um but again those were from those were by people that have reverence for animals people that fight pit bulls don't um and i'm not too familiar with cockfighting so i can't really dip my toe in that um but yeah, I think you have to kind of like look at it from like all angles. So, um, that's my take on the Kentucky Derby next year. We're going to hopefully have the party here and I think it's going to be fabulous, but to get into, <laughs> I thought this was going to be a short episode. What the fuck have we been talking about? I don't know, but here we are. <laughs> the point of this episode was because a couple of the topics that came in, there were a bunch that I'm going to save for a later date. But the, the topics that kept coming up in this week's like poll, when I asked you guys, like what has kind of been on, like, what's the vibe? What's, what's happening? What is everybody feeling? It, I got the response of anxiety so many times, so many times, um, which is funny because it's also something that I've been dealing with a little bit this week that I haven't in a while. I haven't dealt with anxiety in the sense of like how I dealt with it yesterday in probably two months, which is pretty cool <laughs> that I haven't, um, that I haven't had to, uh, deal with it in that long, which feels really good. However, um, I think the conversation, so, okay. So the, the couple of the questions that came in was, tools for dealing with anxiety. What types of anxiety are other people like dealing with mine? This, I won't go into specifics about this one response, but hers was a specific type of anxiety. Um, others, the other question was, um, like how to stop, like how to, how to recognize and how to stop anxiety from like whatever. And I love that you guys are asking me these questions considering I openly share how much I have anxiety. <laughs> pretty much on like a weekly basis. Um, but I have been very open about the type of anxiety that I have. So I used to have really 
really bad situational anxiety all the time. Um, all the time, like in traffic, if things weren't going my way, if, uh, something went wrong or like things were out of my control, I had anxiety around things that were out of my control. Probably the biggest one would be traffic. Um, oh my God, the, the, like the paralyzing feeling that that anxiety would give me. I've thank God worked through a lot of it. And this is coming from someone who has been in therapy for the better part of her entire life. So I have had a lot of expert help in this department um, because I I just needed it. And I also think of it like maintenance so I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily in therapy at this current moment for something specific, but it's more for maintenance and understanding. And the way I process clearly is through talking. So being able to talk to somebody and have someone kind of like mirror things back to me, ask me different questions, make me question things that I think about really, really helps. So before I get into all this, I'm going to say, if you do suffer or have anxiety or experience anxiety, and you have not yet gone to therapy to talk about it or to, or to learn different tools from an expert. There's only so many books and podcasts and friend advice that you can take before you really need somebody to like noodle into your brain. You know, like there's only so much DIY that you can do around anxiety before you really need somebody to kind of come in and evaluate, you know? Um, and I know some people have anxiety around going to therapy and to that, I say, um, you have two options, uh, the option of staying right where you are and continuing to experience it in the way that you do. And most likely being unsuccessful with it, because if you're still, you know, dealing with it or struggling with it, then most likely nothing's changing or you could just call Taylor up. I don't know if anybody got that reference whatsoever, but like there's this Kim, Chris Jenner, uh, like meme. This a voice that she did is from one of the episodes when I think she was talking to Kim and it was like when Kanye, her and Taylor Swift were having like the beef and Chris goes, what if you just call Taylor up? (laughs) Cause Kim was like talking about all this like craziness and like making up stories in her head and like all the stuff. And Chris's question was just so incredibly poignant. What if you just call Taylor up? And I use that probably more often than I should, but it is so perfect in so many different situations. Like when you're worrying about something and you're like stewing in the possibility of whatever it could be. So we'll use this example, going to a therapist and you're nervous about going to find a therapist. All you have to ask yourself is what would happen if you just went to therapy? And then you can think about it. Okay, well, um, I might not get along with a therapist. Uh, my insurance might not cover it. Um, I might not get better. She might tell me I'm crazy. I might actually be crazy. Maybe I don't have anxiety. Maybe I have a personality disorder. Maybe I am more fucked up than I think I am. Maybe like you can exhaust all of those questions. And the answer to all of them pretty much is okay. And then what? And then just keep going down the road of, and then what? And then what? And then what? And see where you get. 
And if you start to laugh at yourself and start to actually think, oh my God, I'm being way dramatic about this, then you can kind of come back to it and be like, okay, it might not be as bad as I think it might be. Because the other question is, okay, what if you call Taylor up? What if you call up your therapist? What if you go to therapy and it's better than you expected? And then you think about, okay, well, maybe I'll get some tools in order to handle my anxiety better. Maybe I will better understand myself. Maybe I'll actually feel a lot better. Maybe I'll really jive with my therapist. Maybe I'll really enjoy going to therapy. Maybe I'll feel a lot better. Maybe I'll feel a lot more relieved. And you could just keep going in that direction. And then that feeling just based on your body feel is going to feel so much better because your body knows that that's most likely what's going to happen. (laughs) That that's most likely the more accurate theory on what would happen if you went to therapy. So that's just the going to therapy example of this, but because that was, (laughs) that was, uh, one of the question statements that someone had suggested like about therapy. It's like, I'm nervous. I have anxiety about going to therapy. And, and I can speak to that part because I, I never had that type of anxiety. I don't even think I was even allowed to have that anxiety. I've been in therapy since I was four. My parents got divorced. My mom threw me in therapy. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. And then just periodically throughout my life, anytime that there was anything difficult or whatever, and my mom noticed something was kind of off, she would just make me an appointment and I would go to therapy and talk to somebody. Just like if something is wrong with your heart or your lungs, or you break an arm, you go to the doctor. It's the same concept. So I never had that anxiety. Um, so I can't relate, but I can at least share kind of like the other side of it a little bit. And the anxiety that I think that I really overcame was the frustration out of control anxiety. And when I tell you it was debilitating, I remember there was like an instance and I may have talked about this on the podcast before, but like I was rushing to get somewhere. I was always, I'm, I am always rushing, which later finds out has to do with the way my brain works and not necessarily because I'm a terrible human being. But when I was younger, I didn't know that's how my brain worked. And of course I'd be rushing, didn't understand why. Of course I would hit traffic. Traffic's fine when you're not rushing, right? Like traffic is totally fine when you are not rushing and you don't have anywhere to be because then you have all the hours to get there. Still, some people get anxiety in traffic, even though they're not rushing anywhere. And I we can talk about that in a minute, but I would be rushing places and I was trying to get to a Yankee game. I had to pick up my mom in the city or something. My anxiety was so bad. <laughs> I had to leave my car on like basically in Columbus circle. Like I had to par- like leave it double park illegally parked and like run to my mom's apartment. And she was on the phone with me, like trying to calm me down. Couldn't you could not talk to me. It was like once the flip once the flip switched, once the switch flipped, all I saw was red and I could not come back from it. I was like, it was like I was on a a runaway train and I had no shot of like reeling it in or self-control at all. I was hysterical. And this happened multiple times, no control over it whatsoever. I could feel it like boiling up through my body. And this was before I had any kind of tool to understand breath work or meditation or understand my triggers or understand like how in that moment to better contain, contain my emotions or regulate my emotions or any of that. And it was like, I I vividly remember that experience because of how absolutely fucking ridiculous that was. Like you left your car in the middle of Columbus or, I mean, it wasn't the middle. It was like next to a hot dog stand, like on the side, like with my flashers on. And I just like left it. (laughs) 
in the middle of Manhattan. I just, but that is how bad I could not deal. And I think about that and I'm like, I was an adult. I was probably 20 and mm, a college 21, but I couldn't, I couldn't make heads or tails of anything that I was feeling. I just knew that there was traffic and I had anxiety and I felt it coming up and I was screaming and blah, 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 pissing and moaning and whatever. And then I got to my mom and she helped me calm down and whatever. But I think about that because I think about how most people still operate in that place. And maybe they haven't had an experience that has like sent them over the edge where they're like, I am never going to do that again. I'm never going to experience that again. And if you haven't yet, it's coming (laughs) because there's always one moment where you're like, oh my God, how did I let my anxiety get that bad to where it like I couldn't operate as an adult, (laughs) like a human being. And so once that happened, then I knew I was like, oh, I really have to figure this out. And I think I was in therapy or I was going, I maybe started going back to therapy and then I was reading some more books and I really got into more of the mindfulness stuff um, and like spirituality and understanding and how our brains and all of that stuff worked. And with therapy, I was able to kind of like talk through a lot of the stuff that had been boiling up because the thing is, it's not the traffic and it's not the car and it's not whatever. It's all the other shit in your brain that you have yet to process that needs somewhere to go that if you give it an inch, it will take a mile. So like in the instance of this traffic situation, I had all of this shit in my body, all this energy in my body anxious energy that I did not know what to do with because I didn't have the tools yet. And the traffic was the quote unquote trigger. And it just all fucking came out all at once, all one big dump. And you think that it has to do with the traffic, but it has absolutely nothing to do with the traffic. That's just like the conduit in which it comes out. So once you have your big aha moment where you're like, Oh, I'm never fucking doing that again. Then you start to see these things for what they are. And they're just triggers. They're just instances that somehow subconsciously you're letting your brain think is a window to letting your emotion out. Like, oh, we can get mad at this because this is a reasonable thing to get mad at. So let's unleash it all on this thing. And then afterwards, you don't necessarily feel better. You feel relief, but you don't feel better because you kind of feel like ashamed about it. You feel like, damn, like I just threw a fucking tantrum. Like I'm a four-year-old. Why couldn't I get my shit together? And nobody can really help you through it because they can't feel what you're feeling inside your body, the the ringing and the buzzing and the vibrating of just all of this energy needing somewhere to go. They can't really help you through it. They can be there next to you, but at the end of it, it's like coming to at the end, you honestly are like embarrassed for yourself. And so you do that enough times and you actually are like, all right, I got to shit or get off the pot. I got to fix something here. Like this is broke. Something's wrong. I need to do something. I can't live my life like this. So that type of anxiety, I can say I have moved on from, I have graduated to different anxiety. (laughs) So now I don't get anxious in traffic. I don't get anxious with anything I can't control. I don't get anxious because I've realized that like the, the, the bare bones of it. Okay. Traffic. So say you're in traffic and you got somewhere to go. There ain't shit you can do about it. 
and there is nothing, there is nothing getting excited about it, or, and I mean excited not in a good way, like getting worked up about it is going to do about the traffic, like nothing. If anything, energetically speaking, it's just going to give you more traffic. Like if you want to go like woo woo into the universe and, and all that and law of attraction, it's just going to give you more traffic. So you're, you're actually like doubling down on it. So once you realize that, then you realize, okay, well, there's actually no point. So if there's no point in getting worked up about it, then you don't get worked up about it because you're like, well, fuck. I mean, I'm not going anywhere. This traffic isn't moving. I'm going to be late. You, you resolve yourself that you're just going to be late or whatever, and you're not going to die. (laughs) It's not the end of the world. Like if, and I think this is also maybe the reason why partly because my time situation now and my lack of understanding, like how long an actual minute is, is because I used to have so much anxiety about it that it was, it was debilitating. So now I've gone the opposite direction of like, time is a mirage. (laughs) Time is a figment of our imagination. It is not real because I can't let myself get, get crazy over it because it used to destroy me. So that could be, you know, like a overcorrection on my part. Um, but if you're going to be late and it's like, oh, but I'm going to be late and then people are going to think I, I don't care or I'm disrespectful or, you know, that I'm inconsiderate. Okay. Well, are you inconsiderate? Are you disrespectful? Do you not care? No, no, no. Okay. So if they want to think that that has nothing to do with you, that has to do with them projecting their thoughts onto you. That has nothing to do with who you are as a person. So in those moments when you have like that, like initial jolt of adrenaline, you know, that like immediate feeling of anxiety that pulses through every vein you have in your body, through your elbows, like down your neck, all of that. If you can, if you can think of a Mack truck, like derailing that instantly with a thought of just, okay, but what is the worst case scenario here? And if you can like talk yourself through that, and just have a level rational conversation with yourself in that moment, you can probably avoid an absolute meltdown. And that is what has helped me. And I try to tell this to other people too, because I'll be in cars with people and they'll be aggravated. And I'm like, for what, for what? Like, if you're late, you're late. Like, and, and if people want to project onto you. And I get it. Like if you're on time, you're late 15 minutes early, you're on time. Like that's how I got through college in the broadcasting world. And I'm sure in whatever industry you're in, it's the same thing. It's a blanket statement. You know, you, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. And that works and it does work for the most part, but then there are things that happen and life happens. And if somebody's going to tell you or make you feel like you're an inconsiderate, disrespectful, person because you're late without any understanding of the circumstances you may or may not have just been in like that has nothing to do with you like absolutely nothing to do with you so I hope that's helpful in like a very acute situation but can be maybe applied to other situations where you feel like you don't have control like something happens like oh my god (laughs) perfect example Morgan Wallen just canceled six weeks of his shows. We were supposed to go see him next Friday at MetLife and I am devastated, devastated. Like I look forward, I have been looking forward to this for months, months and months. It was the thing that was getting me through the winter. I was like, okay, just know when the spring comes, we're going to go see Morgan Wallen. We're going to 
tailgate. We're going to have a good time. We're going to sing. We're going to wear cowboy boots. It's going to be a whole thing. I was so excited watching stagecoach videos this past like couple weeks ago. I was like, oh, I'm so jealous. Like, I wish I was at stagecoach. I wish I, you know, blah, blah, blah. But don't worry, because I'm going to go see Morgan Wallen. And then he fucking cancels his shows. The kid has no voice. He needs vocal rest. I totally understand. It's out of my control. Normal me would be livid. Livid, livid, livid. And I think I saw this in when he canceled the show right before it was supposed to start in Oxford, Mississippi. And people lost their minds. And I thought about this. And I was like, oh, my God. This was me, like, 12 years ago when I couldn't control my emotions when something was out of control or out of my control. And people are just walking around life like this. And it's a miserable feeling. It's a terrible feeling. And I, I would imagine if you've had that experience, like you agree being inconsolable in your own emotions is the worst feeling ever. And I'm not saying to not feel anything, but I'm saying like that specifically is horrible because you feel like your body's being overtaken by like a worm. <laughs> like you've got no say in the matter. But I remember when he canceled that concert and just seeing that like the comments and the vitriol that people were so, these people were supposed to be like diehard fans that suddenly on a dime turned on this kid because he canceled the show right before it started. Meanwhile, he could have canceled it before the whole thing started. Then everybody would have driven 11 hours or however long you drove to Oxford, Mississippi. Like, why would you drive that long to go to Oxford, Mississippi? But anyway, drove that long and then showed up and there was no show whatsoever. At least I got some show, you know? But anyway, I digress. That was a tangent about Morgan Wallen. But anyway, out of my control, Morgan Wallen had to cancel his shows. And, you know, the me of 21, 20, 21 years old would have lost my shit. Um, but now you just say, okay, well, this is how it's supposed to happen. When he reschedules, the date is the date that it's supposed to be. And it was always the date that it was supposed to be because that's how it works out. And the universe is always right. And it doesn't happen to me. It happens for me. And then you just kind of have to like move on because it is not like worth the stress and the sweat. So all of that anxiety for the most part, I can deal with pretty well now through just understanding what could possibly be the worst case scenario and realizing that that's actually not the worst case scenario. And then also just learning to interject that initial spike of adrenaline and anxiety with a logical thought, like just cutting it off before it spreads through my whole body is huge. It's like a physical thing that you kind of have to like shake yourself out of and then just knowing that if things are out of your control, they're out of your control. And there's no, there's no amount of anxiety or spewing or screaming or crying that will change it. Um, and then you can kind of like move on. And the other thing that I do in these situations, especially when it's like the traffic thing and I do feel like I'm having anxiety, I manifest no traffic. <laughs> I literally will sit there and envision uh, the road opening up ahead of me. I envision myself getting there on time. I envision the parking spot I'm supposed to get and blah, blah, blah. And I know I'm like really moaning on about, about the traffic thing, but I have a feeling that you know exactly what I'm talking about. But, but when I say that I have graduated to new anxiety and probably anxiety that I've had right throughout my life, um, but just couldn't really put my finger on it is 
anxiety around my ADHD, which is actually how I kind of came to the realization or with my therapist that ADHD could actually be something that I have to look into or learn about or whatever, because we were talking about anxiety and I don't have social anxiety. I don't have anxiety about the future. Um, I don't worry about things happening. Um, I don't, I have no anxiety around any of that. Like, again, those things are out of my control for the most part. So I don't worry about them. I don't have anxiety about like medical stuff, anything like that, which again, I know is a very, I don't want to say popular, (laughs) popular brand of anxiety, but (laughs) it is very common. Um, but I never had any of that anxiety. So I always thought I was somebody that didn't have anxiety after I got over that anxiety that I just talked about. I thought I was cured. I thought I had beat it. I had beat anxiety. I was fully, uh, fixed and cured and never to be seen again. And then I realized that what I have is anxiety around getting things done and procrastination. So the only time I get anxiety is when something is needing to be done. I am in control of doing the, getting it done, doing the doing. And now it's like the 11th hour and I have to do all of the things that I couldn't get myself to do now. So like a great example of this is yesterday or yeah, two days ago, I wanted to record an episode of the podcast. I had a whole list of things to do. And if you have ADHD, you might be able to understand what I'm talking about, but you get in this like paralyzed state of where, you know, you have a hundred things to do, but your brain cannot get you there. So sometimes you have to like superficially flood it with some dopamine so that you can get enough dopamine to get started on something usually that works. And then sometimes it doesn't. So dopamine can look like coffee or a little piece of chocolate or an exercise or sun or eating your favorite food or something like that. Like just getting your brain a little bit of dopamine to get you started on the task. And then you can maybe keep going. And sometimes it doesn't work (laughs) when it doesn't work. It is miserable because you know, you're sitting there that you have so much stuff to do. And you cannot turn your brain on to do it. And that sounds ridiculous and it sounds impossible. But if you know, you know, and if you don't, then good for you. You don't have ADHD. And so when that happens and you wind up putting things off because your brain is not turning on to do the things that you needed to do, then that stuff becomes rolls into like another day and another day you have another set of things that you have to do. And now you have two days worth of things to do in one day. And that is where my anxiety starts. And it is so draining, so debilitating, drives me insane. And if you have ADHD, you, you may also understand what I'm talking about. And if you procrastinate, so there's a difference, like procrastination is one thing. The difference between someone that has an ADHD type brain. Cause I don't even like saying neurodivergent. 
because that's like the, the, the term everybody uses neurodivergent brains or like neurotypical. No one's no. I mean, like typical is, is a subjective thing. Like what is typical? What is normal? What's divergent? I mean, it sounds cool, but like, is it really that divergent if so many of us have brains that work like this? No. So I just like to say, this is how my brain works. Procrastination is one thing you understand the consequences, but the consequences are what get you to eventually do the work, right? So it's like, there's a due date. You'll eventually do it because there's a due date. People that have ADHD and haven't quite mastered this skill yet is the consequences mean nothing. (laughs) Consequences are all but a suggestion to our lovely brains. It does not care if there is a consequence. The consequence would have to be so severe in order to give our brains like adrenaline and enough dopamine to actually get it to do the thing that it's supposed to do. And short of that, if it's like a small consequence, like it's not enough dopamine to get our brains to do it. So procrastinators are a little different in the sense that eventually like they'll do the work, right? Like they'll get it done, you know, people like myself, um, or just anyone that identifies that like their brain works like this, it's virtually impossible to, to get it, to do something that it doesn't want to do. And you can try to like Jimmy rig it all you want, but sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So you really have to hack your brain and your lifestyle in a way that you're constantly giving it dopamine at the right times and not flooding it with dopamine at the wrong times when you don't necessarily need it. So when things like this come up and you realize, okay, you've now moved an entire day's worth of to-dos into the next day and you're trying to get all of them done. And that is, that's most likely not going to happen. I mean, there's not enough hours in the day to get all of two days worth of work done. And you also just don't have the brain capacity and the brain energy to do all of those things in one day. But in our brains, we think we can, we think we can, you know, like overcorrect and do it. And that is where my anxiety starts and it is brutal. It doesn't help on those days. Like if I have coffee, so this is like the double-edged sword with coffee. I love coffee. Coffee helps my brain a ton. So it gives you a lot of dopamine. Caffeine works with me. As long as I'm moving around, I just can't have coffee and sit at my computer for hours. I will literally tweak out, but Caffeine is great in the sense that like it turns my brain on, it like gets things firing, it gives me the dopamine I need, all the things. Where coffee is bad is if I have a day like this where I have all of these things to do and I have coffee, I've now put caffeine on top of my anxiety. (laughs) And that is a recipe for disaster. All that also to say that if you do suffer from chronic anxiety, where it's like a day-to-day anxiety, the first thing you need to get rid of is caffeine. And I mean like get rid of it like 90% because it just adds fuel to the fire until you can like, you know, get back to your regular, you know, non-anxiety self, then you can add caffeine back in. But if you are suffering with chronic anxiety and um, you just can't uh, figure out what's going on, definitely give yourself a little break from from caffeine. But so I'm saying that my anxiety starts there because a couple of you also mentioned that 
You also have ADHD, which is really cool because I love like talking to other people that have a similar brain (laughs) makeup or, and they're not all the same, but understand at least like where I'm coming from sometimes. Um, that's really helpful, but I think that, so the way that my therapist has explained it to me is that is the differentiator between someone who has generalized anxiety and someone who has ADHD. And I talked about this in the ADHD episode a few back, if you want to listen to that, um, that my ADHD or whatever you want to call it, the way that my brain works and the way that I can and cannot executive function and do things is what triggers my anxiety. And it's not the other way around. So I am not, not doing things because I have anxiety. I'm not, not completing tasks because I have this existential anxiety. I am (laughs) the culprit of my anxiety because my brain can't get me to do the things that I need to do in order to avoid said situation that would induce anxiety. So I hope that that makes some sense. But I want to leave you with things that actually could help this if you also find yourself someone that has this feeling. So what's really been helping me lately is, as a woman, you working with your cycle is so, so important. And probably the biggest game changer for my ADHD and with that, my anxiety is just understanding how hormonally my body works. And it's more than just like understanding when you ovulate and like how long your period lasts and are you regular? Are you every 28 days? Like it's more than understanding that because there's so many more layers to it, but really quick. And again, this is another podcast episode a while back I did on cycle syncing, but understanding that right after your period. So like say you're done bleeding on like day three, you know, you get your period three days later or four, you're done bleeding around day four, you start to feel much better, right? Like you start to come back to life. You have energy. You're excited for life. You realize that you do have purpose. You don't lack motivation. You are important. And the things that you want to do are important. And you're smart. All the things, all of that starts coming back on like day three, day four, and it just keeps rising. So all of those good feeling hormones and all of that good vibe stuff, like you are on it, you are, you are in it, you're in the cut for the first two weeks until you ovulate. And then after you ovulate, all of your hormones just kind of like bottom out. Um, so you're basically riding this really high like rise. Um, if you think of it like a roller coaster and you can look this up, like Google, like, uh, female hormonal fluctuations, like per cycle or something like that. And you'll see it, it all goes up. And then after you ovulate, you like drop off. And that's why the back half of your cycle, you feel just like, eh, like you're just slower and you don't want to be as social and you're not as energized. You probably need a little bit more coffee to get you like on the up and up. That is the time that you're supposed to kind of just like ease up. You're not supposed to be doing a million things. You don't need to, you know, rip all the caffeine because you need to get back to where you were for the first two weeks. It's your body basically saying like, look, like we're either, you know, pregnant or not pregnant, but your body knows you don't, but well, unless you do know, um, 
And then that's what it's like gearing up for. So it's either like, hey, we're either making a baby or we're about to like bleed a lot. So we're just going to need to like recoup for a little bit. And then afterwards we can like get back on track. So basically if you can align your lifestyle and, and your work life in these like two week, two week cycles almost, instead of thinking about it as like a month, think about it as like two week cycles. So it's like, your first two weeks leading up to ovulation, you feel like a fucking badass. You can do anything. You can talk to anybody. You're like social. You're on the, you know, like you're, you're putting your best foot forward. Your next two weeks, you're like in a little bit more introverted, a little bit more in inner, like you're going inward. You probably want to read more. You want to like go to bed earlier. You want to take more baths. You want to like do all that stuff. Leaning into those parts of your cycle helps tremendously with anxiety because so much of our anxiety is our body's way of telling us that we're doing the wrong things at the wrong time. When your body is trying to tell you it wants to rest and recover and relax and you're sending it to fucking Mars because you drank like four shots of espresso and are doing hit classes and running around like a psycho your body naturally is not in a state of homeostasis. It's not happy. It doesn't want to be doing what you're telling it to do. So it's going to try to send you signals somehow. And a lot of times that is in anxiety. And, you know, you, we really are not doing such a great job. I think now we're talking about it more, but we really have to get away from this idea that the nine to five work week And I'm not here to like demonize men whatsoever, but I'm saying it was set up because men predominantly held the positions in the workforce. They made the schedule. They went to work. It works for them. They can do the exact same thing every day. Their hormones fluctuate in a 24 hour period where ours fluctuate over a 28 day period. So understanding that and stopping immediately comparing yourself to like your male counterpart at work would be like the first step in alleviating a ton of anxiety for yourself because you cannot maintain that. It's not, it's, I don't want to say impossible, but it's not healthy. It's, it's possible, but you'll burn out. You'll, you'll, your hormones will be like a mess. You won't feel great. So like, yes, physically, can you do it? Of course we can do anything. We can bring children into this world and not die. Like we are pretty resilient in that sense, but it's not sustainable for us as women. So altering your workout schedule, altering your social schedule, altering like the type of work you do in your cycle will help tremendously. So what I have been trying to lean into is really optimizing those first two weeks of my cycle, which I'm in right now. So what I can do now that I'm like, in the zone for, and in like the headspace of is like recording a bunch of podcasts, recording a bunch of content that I need to film, um, setting up meetings, doing interviews for podcasts, like all that, like heavy lifting stuff that requires a lot of brain capacity and a lot of me putting myself out there. That's the stuff that I need to be doing in the first two weeks of my cycle. The back end, I need to be working on like back end stuff. So that's what my brain can handle then. And for me, that kind of looks different every month, but it could be like follow-ups with um, beauty counter clients. It can be um, building or fixing stuff with my website. It can be built like writing emails, like all of that stuff. 
that requires less of me exerting and putting my energy out that I can do in the second half of my cycle. And I'm using that as like an example for me, but you know what that is for you. And leaning into that has helped me so, so much. And a perfect, perfect example is on Monday, I had so much, actually, no, it was yesterday. I had so much anxiety yesterday. And I said this last week, I was doing all the things that I shouldn't have been doing around getting my period. Like I was out like four days in a row. I was socializing a ton. I was teaching a ton of classes that I picked up. I was like overexerting myself beyond. I wasn't working out heavy, which that I could control. The other things were already like pre-booked that I screwed up that I had to do. And you can, it's not to say that you can't be social on, you know, the second, like right when you're getting your period, it just means to be more intentional about it and reserve your energy a little bit more because you don't have as much to expend. And so doing all that stuff, my period was fine, whatever, but come Monday I had massive anxiety because it was like, we needed that time (laughs) to regroup and we didn't have the time to regroup and now we're starting another cycle and and we still didn't get the rest and recovery we needed. So it's just interesting how it all ties in together and again this is specific for women. Men, you know, have different hormonal fluctuations and different ways that it works and I can't necessarily speak to that. Um but for women at least that just that little simple switch can help so much in terms of just like overarching anxiety because it's just your body's way of telling you to pay attention and we don't want to pay attention to it because we think it's so much more complicated than it actually is when in reality it's just like asking your body or asking your brain like what do you need today and being honest like do we need coffee today or do we just want coffee? Do we want coffee? Okay, we want coffee. Do we really need it? Let's wait. Let's wait until maybe the afternoon. And if I really need a cup of coffee, then I'll have a cup cup of coffee. Or do I really want to do this hit class? Does my body want to do this hit class? Or do I just want to do this hit class because it it sh- makes me feel like I'm being productive? Well, I want to do it. My ego wants it because I want, you know, whatever the the stuff on my watch or the calories burned or whatever the fuck it is. But like asking your body, well, what does it really need now? It needs fucking yoga. Most likely it needs a stretch class. It needs some yin. That's what it needs, you know? So just tuning into your body. It, it does not lie. It's like the best guidance system ever invented. It's so smart. And we just look outward all the time for the answers and they're not out there. It's, it's in, it's in like the supercomputer that's inside of us. So I hope that that's helpful. If you give it a try and like, you're not sure what to do, just let me know. There's a lot of articles out there. There's tons of accounts talking about cycle syncing, but I truly, truly believe that it is game changing in terms of anxiety and just overall just wellness it, it will change and blow your mind when you actually start to like sink into it and you start to like live life in these two week periods of like, okay, like now I feel good. I know in like two weeks, I'm like not going to feel so hot. So let me like utilize what I got now and like rest and recover on the back end. And if you're trying to get pregnant, this also helps a ton. Um, and also it's funny because when you are trying to get pregnant, you're constantly in a two week wait. So this is a fun way of leveraging the two-week wait instead of feeling like 
dread and anxiety around it. So if you are trying to conceive right now, know like the first two weeks of your cycle, like that is when you do all the things, all the things. And then the second half of your cycle, just chill, just chill and like go inward, do like lean into your feminine, lean into the yin, and then you get your yang back. Well, if you're pregnant, hopefully you're pregnant, then that's a totally different, that's like a, that's chapter two. That's like a totally different thing. But if you're not pregnant, then you know you got your yang and you just go yin yang all month long and then uh, repeat. So I hope that that's helpful. I love that you guys were like feeling the anxiety with me because I definitely felt it yesterday. But once you look back, you kind of like see where it comes from. And that's also really helpful because then you learn to recognize the triggers and recognize what's going to long-term help you or short-term make it like really painful or just miserable. Um, so I hope that there was something that you could take from that. And there was a tool that you learned. The other thing, which again, I've talked about in another episode. So sometimes I feel like I'm repeating myself, but I realize not everybody listens to every episode, but the other thing that you can do, and like, I'm just throwing this in there at the end, but this could be an entire episode of its own is four, seven, eight breathing. And if you have not tried it, just Google four, seven, eight breathing. It is incredible, incredible, incredible. It can stop a panic attack in its track. It it's amazing. So it's just breathing a deep breath in for four counts, holding it for seven, exhaling for eight and repeating it four times in like four, four blocks, like, uh, like chunks. So you do four times, then you breathe a couple of regular breaths and you do it another four times, breathe a little bit normally, do it another four times, do it four times. So you'll do 16 of these breaths overall. I, sometimes I don't even have to do that many. I could just do a block of four and it uh, is incredible, incredible, because you forget that you, most of us don't take deep breaths throughout the day. And that's also uh, a trigger for anxiety. Cause it's like, yo, we need some more oxygen. So please just take a deep breath. Um, so I'm throwing that in at the end and not really giving it a lot of context, but you can look it up. Um, I've talked about it before. It is game changing. It's amazing breath work. Um, so definitely check it out and like add it to your tool belt for, um, anxiety coping mechanisms. Um, okay. So I think I've, uh, talked long enough. This is a really long, short episode. Um, so I hope you have a fabulous rest of your day. And if you're listening to this and on a walk, I hope the sun is shining. The birds are chirping. The vibes are high and I will see you when I see you love you. Mean it.